you that uh, we've been looking for a place and we found a building that, w that needs a lot of work and uh, um, my wife's uncle has been very generous to us. Please continue to pray for him. His name is Don and uh, I do some side work for him and, and uh, we'll, it would be nice to have our own place so we can do some outreach through our ministry. And so, what's that? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I can't believe that you would walk up in the middle of church and reach across. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> my, oh my. Oh well. But uh, remember that, and, and I want to encourage you, you know, this is a time of year that uh, uh, people give and uh, are more open to give, and it's a great time of year to evangelize. And so, friends, if you don't have materials, quickly get some materials, some tracks or you know, whatever you can and give to, you know, acquaintances and co-workers and friends and such. And they're, they'll, be, they'll be more open to it this time of year than I have found any other time of year, except maybe Easter, but Christmas more so than I've ever found. It's a fantastic time uh, to evangelize and share uh, the, uh, the three angels' messages, share the gospel, share the love of Christ with all. Um, and so I also want to encourage you uh, to return a faithful and honest tithe and uh, offering and uh, you know give to to uh, your local church that's faithful give to ministries that you know of uh, uh, we having a ministry we're supported by free will tithes and offerings as well and you know it teaches us to be um, very good stewards of uh, of the lord's funds and so i encourage you to return at, what is the Lord's back to Himself? Um, yes, it's a requirement. Absolutely, it is. And if you're born again, you want to give all that you can anyway, don't you? Uh, to the Lord, return back to Him. Uh, now it's time to I will invite you to kneel with me and let's have a word of prayer. And uh, then we'll get into our study for today. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy holy name. Father, we come before you on our knees. We thank you and we praise you for uh, your wonderful love towards us and that you esteemed us better than we deserve, really. Father, and you gave your Son. And with him, you gave all heaven. You gave all that you could so that we could be saved. And uh, we, we thank you so very much from the bottom of our hearts. And we thank you uh, for your Son and for Jesus who, who came and showed us how to live a righteous life and to give us hope that uh, through your grace we too can have our desires changed and we can desire righteousness as it once was when we were created. And, and though we have frailties and physical ailments, we can in bodies like these that are corrupted uh, live a righteous life, develop a righteous character through Jesus. And we, we praise you for that that opportunity. And we pray now for the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit we could do nothing. And we pray that the Spirit will live within us in our hearts and our minds. And, and Lord, that we may be changed each and every moment into your likeness. And Father, we pray for those who, um, those who are ailing, those who are hurting, those who are lonely, especially this time of year. May we in some way minister to their needs. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you be with those on our prayer lists as well. We praise you for protecting our, our dear friend that we love, Jerry, and her accident and, and providing for all her needs. Another witness, another testimony to your uh, honor and your glory. And thank you for being with our brother Roland and, and, uh, and helping him in his, his health and his situation, especially with the finances, you know. Lord, being without uh, a job for three years is very difficult. But you've uh, miraculously sustained him and his family. It's, it's a marvelous thing to behold. We, we thank you so much. And Father, we thank you for the Sabbath day, and this opportunity that we can rest from our labor and rest from the battle uh, with sin and to, uh, to be among angels and like believers and to study your holy word. And so, Father, we pray as you, we ask forgiveness for our sins that you also help us to understand uh, our own character and our frailties so that we may call upon your grace to make changes in our life, to come in accordance to your will, to put away those things we know are not pleasing to thee. We pray that uh, 
you forgive us and remove the guilt that we have. And be with me as I uh, bring this message, Lord. Bring thoughts to my mind that uh, you want the congregation to be aware of and to learn and to understand. It's a very awesome um, responsibility to stand before the flock. And so, Lord, guide my tongue. Give me the words to speak. And that we all may come closer and closer to Thee because of this truth. We thank you so much again for Jesus and hearing this prayer as we ask it in his blessed name. Amen. Amen. I had mentioned earlier, I think in Sabbath school, about our study for today. It's a study that I have entitled The Sign of the Covenant. And this study goes really goes right along with our last one and could be considered part two uh, to that one, really. <laughs> uh, we studied, uh, if you recall, we studied about the seed of Abraham and the covenant between God and Abraham and the sign of that covenant. And this is important, friends, to understand because it is one of the foundational pillars in defining God's true people and thus defining uh, his true church. Um, and as I've said before, just, uh, you know, I'm going to go through some refresher, some of it's uh, from our study last time, uh, in which I talked about the seed of Abraham, and, and uh, we're going to go through some of that as a refresher because it leads right in. As I said, it's, you could look at this as kind of part two to that. Um, it leads into the sign of the covenant. And, and you've heard me in this series the series that uh, I entitled, This is My Body, and Defining God's Church. Um, you've heard me say that in this great controversy between Christ and Satan, there are only two churches. And friends, I encourage you tremendously to go to the book of Genesis and study your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You'll only find a conflict between two. You know, I've, I've heard so many different theories about, oh, there's a... There is an invisible church and a visible church, and there's this church and that church and this other church, and don't get confused by all that. Uh, there are only two sides in this controversy, and you either belong to one side or you belong to the other. Now, when you talk about churches and stuff, you can be talking about different organizations, but those organizations will fall within one of these two sides, friends. Um, and there are only... Again, two churches. You have God's church, and we refer to it today in the advancement of light, and as in our study, it's referred to as the church militant because we're in a time of conflict with the other church, the seed of the serpent, you see. And uh, uh, so it's the church militant. It's made up of faithful souls, faithful to God. It's made up of unfaithful souls. Those were planted by the enemy, though, see. They're tares, they're foolish virgins, they're, they're Laodiceans. But, but the church of God is not made up of open sinners. Because sin will be dealt with, see, according to God's Spirit. And then we have Satan's church, of course. It's known today as Babylon. It's also referred to in the book of Revelation as the synagogue of Satan. It's made up of both faithful souls and unfaithful souls, which is... Uh, the open sinners. And we're, we're, we have a calling, beloved. Every Christian today has a calling to call those faithful souls out of Babylon and into God's church, the church militant, which will one day be the church triumphant. And that's a study for another time that's coming down the road. So I encourage you to, to attend our services here as we go through this. Now, uh, I have a lot to cover. I'm going to throw a lot of scriptures at you. If you want a list of the scripture references, let me know. And uh, I'm working on the website, trying to get the audios lined up. Um, the technology, I love technology, but boy, it requires a lot of study uh, to do some of the things and, uh, you know, putting uh, MP3 players and all this kind of stuff, dealing with H HTML code and all that kind of stuff. So pl please pray for me as we, we, we try to get our website, and, and we're going to be doing more with Facebook and, and YouTube and those kinds of things. So um, I'm trying to be able to put the, the, the Scripture references for each study as a PDF file along with the audios. So... 
Um, but in the meantime, you know, send a, send me an email requesting that, and uh, I can return that to you. Um, one of the ten characteristics defining the church. In those ten characteristics, one describes the church as those who are of the spiritual seed of Abraham. As uh, our last study in we went through shows very clearly. Not of the seed of Ishmael. In that they keep the covenant spiritually that God made with Abraham. And uh, not they are not of the flesh as Ishmael was. And we found that the, the seventh day Sabbath... Uh, as circumcision was the sign of the covenant for Abraham, but the Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath, much more so uh, is a sign of that covenant. And we're going to get into that's part of this study uh, this morning. Uh, but as a refresher, if you, you go back to Genesis chapter 17, God came to Abraham, and in uh, the first two verses there, chapter 17, says, and when Abram was 90 years old and nine, so he was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. And notice what he says, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. So just as righteousness received by faith, we call it justification, uh, was necessary to establish the covenant, See, so a blameless walk before God, we call that sanctification, was necessary to maintain it, see, to maintain that covenant. It's not a once saved, always saved that you, you see in some of the uh, teachings, friends. It's a continual walk with God. See, God wished Abraham to understand that the ultimate realization of the, the divine promise were it required him to measure up more completely to God's standard of purity and holiness. And uh, Abraham was called to a higher experience than he had known before. As I talked about the last time we were together. It talked about there in verses 1 and 2 that God wanted Abraham to walk before him, not behind him. You see, there's some indications there that, that God is going to be watching us as we walk before Him. Not so much in judgment, friends, but in correction. So as we walk before God, He sees where we may be straying one way or to the other, and He can make corrections in our walk. That can't be done if we're walking behind God, or you know, if you're walking behind someone, they don't have eyes in the back of their head. Now, God knows all things, but I think you catch the principle. If you go to uh, verse 7 there in Genesis 17, it says, And I will establish my covenant. This is God still speaking to Abraham. He says, I'll establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And so... The terms and benefits of this covenant relate not only to Abraham, you see, as an individual, uh, but to all his descendants as well. Both his literal descendants and spiritual descendants. You know, God gave circumcision to Abraham as a sign of the covenant. And God told him that anybody wanting to become part of his seed had to be circumcised. That was all part of that dispensation, see, before the Messiah came. Because Genesis 3.15, as we started our study last week, talked about the coming of the Messiah. And things change when the Messiah comes. He fulfills certain aspects of the covenant, see? So God made a covenant with Abraham. And what we're reading here, it says that any person in the world could come to Abraham and he could say, I want to worship your God. I want to be a part of your religion. I want to be a part of your family, the family of God. And they could become a part of it if they were circumcised. Now, see, that was, was something that represented a cutting away of sin from the life because, you know, in case you don't know what circumcision is, it's a cutting away of the foreskin of the male genital. <laughs> see? And so it represents something. It's not, it's not righteousness by works, just cutting away. Uh, that foreskin is what saved you. 
it represents a cutting away of sin from your from your life. Now when Israel left Egypt, that very same covenant was renewed to them. They had gone into Egypt for over 400 years, and here you know, they were um, brought out miraculously through God's power, and the leading of Moses, and that, that covenant was renewed to them. Circumcision was an outward symbol of an inward experience. They're supposed to have the inward experience. And the same can be said of the Sabbath, beloved. It is an outward symbol of an inward experience. And that is keeping the commandments of God by faith. That change of desires. So, you know, like I said last week, and I asked you this question, and I believe it's a, a very uh, important question, a very pivotal question. What if you only had the outward symbol? You'd been circumcised, and if you're males, of course. You'd been circumcised, but you didn't have the inward spiritual uh, experience that it represented of cutting sin away from your life. What if you went to church every Sabbath, but didn't have the inward experience of having the ark of God in your heart? Remember when I talked about the ark of God? Carrying the ark of God around in your heart? Had the commandments in your heart? What if you didn't have that inward experience of keeping the commandments of God because they're written in your mind. So you have the outward sign, but would that make you a member of God's church? Part of God's family? Were you really a part of the seed of Abraham? Now, if you recall, the Bible said that Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all that were born in his house, and he had them circumcised. Were they actually members of the church, though? See? Ishmael was not really part of the church because he didn't have the inward experience that circumcision represents. And when you give your allegiance to God and you choose to serve Him to keep His laws and put away sin, then you become a part of God's chosen people, His church. And we human beings, we, we're so used to looking at the flesh that often the spiritual truth in the Bible just bypasses us completely. At least that's my experience. And the Apostle Paul had to fight this same battle of the symbol versus the substance, the inward experience. In Romans 9 verse 6, he said, Not as though the word of God hath taken an effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Now that's very interesting, isn't it? That's an interesting statement by Paul. Who is Israel? Israel is God's people, right? But Paul's saying they are not all Israel which are of Israel. They are not all Israel who profess to be Israel. See, is what he's saying. They are not all God's people who profess to be God's people. And the fulfillment of God's promise is limited to those who meet the conditions of the covenant relation. See? If you look at the very next verse, Romans 9, verse 7. Paul goes on, he says, Neither, because they are the seed of Abraham, are they all children. But he says, But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. See, because remember, you had Isaac and you had Ishmael. Ishmael doesn't count. <laughs> even though he had the outward sign of circumcision. Even though he was a child of Abraham. He had the outward sign to prove he was a, you know, uh, a church member. Only, But the Bible says, only in Isaac, not Ishmael, shall thy seed be called. Isaac representing the spiritual seed of God and Ishmael representing the fleshly seed of Satan. Next verse. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. See? But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Ah, oh, Paul's getting into it pretty deep here. The children of the promise. Because Isaac was a child of promise. Remember, how old was Abraham? He was 99. He was past the age of having children. So was his wife, Sarah. But he clung to the promise. Well, he faltered there for a while, but then he came back. That's why Ishmael was here, see? 
But in all this, profession alone doesn't make anyone a child of God or a member of His church. Who really is a member of the church? It's not the children of the flesh. It is the children of the promise. Those who have the spiritual qualifications. And how do we ascertain those spiritual qualifications? Go back to Romans chapter 4. Paul says in verse 13, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So Paul teaches here that through righteousness by faith, the Gentiles have the same privileges as the Jews. It was God's intention from the beginning that anyone could become part of the seed of Abraham, see, through faith. And we saw this, remember, uh, you can go back to the story of Ruth, as she became part of the seed of Abraham by faith. And then we, we looked at Romans chapter 2. We went back a couple more verses, and Paul says in verse 29, But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So you see, it's not outward, it's inward. It's not in the letter, but it's in the spirit. Then Paul says in Galatians 3.7, he says, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Those are the only ones who are really part of the church of God. They keep the same covenant with God that was made with Abraham, and they do it the same way that Abraham did it, and that was by faith. Back up a verse, Galatians 3.6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Because he believed God. See, to be credited as righteous means being forgiven and admitted to the favor of God. And man can do nothing to deserve the gift of Christ's righteousness. You know, we, we can't earn it. We can't claim it on the basis of merit. It's only by faith. Skip down in chapter 3 of Galatians and Look at verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither. This is why Paul comes out and he says this. Because it's by faith. He says there is neither Jew nor Greek. This is what really upset the Jews. It inflamed their prejudices. But does that make it error? No. You see, when the Messiah came, this is what he, he taught. This is what he showed. This is God's true character of love. He said there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, if we are circumcised in our heart and we are Christ's, we are Abraham's seed. This is wonderful news for us, friends. This is fantastic news for us. Now, people twist the scriptures, and I don't want to get sidetracked too much here, but I've seen this particular, uh, these scriptures in Galatians 3 here used to speak of women's ordination. And because Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, and there's neither male nor female, and they're, they're just twisting it completely out. It's talking about salvation, being of the seed of Abraham, being heirs according to the promise. Not about church responsibilities. That's part of organization. And Jesus was a seed of Abraham, you see. And if I am a child of Christ, I keep the covenant made between God and Abraham by faith. And I am a part of the seed of Abraham. I am a member of the church. I am an heir to the kingdom of God. As the old hymn says, a child of the king. Now, there's a, a refresher from our, our last study in 
And uh, I want to get into the, more of the, the, the sign of the covenant. You know, before the, the final battle is waged between Christ and Satan, beloved, and, and between the seed of the woman and the seed of the devil, the covenant sign will be raised to distinguish without any doubt who belongs to whom in this conflict. It has to happen. Because it's the sign of the covenant between man and God. It's interesting to note that not only does God have a sign for all to see who is, is His by, by covenant, but Satan also has a sign for all to see who is His by covenant. You see, because God created all of us, even angels, with the freedom of choice. And angels have made their decisions. Now it's up to man to make their final decisions. And it's a decision you will make. It will be a covenant that you make. You're either going to make that covenant with God by faith, as Abraham did, or you're going to make a covenant with the devil. And these two signs of the covenant are going to be brought out to the forefront of all, for all the world to see. And a decision will have to be made. And like I've said, and there will be a time when all will be sealed in their fate according to the covenant that they have chosen. Whether they have chosen to be sealed by God or sealed by Satan being forever a member of God's church, or being destroyed with Satan as a member of His doomed church. And that's the Word of God, friends. That's not Pastor Joel. <laughs> that's from God's Word. So I want to spend some time looking at the sign of the covenant for God's people in some detail now. And this is something that we, we really need to understand if we wish to, to stand as conquerors in the Lord against the beast and His mark or His covenant. Just a moment. Okay. I don't think that anyone here, or anyone who can hear me or see me, would disagree that the three angels' messages of, that are found in Revelation 14 are present truth. They're the most solemn messages of warning entrusted to mortal man and are the last messages of warning to the world before probation closes and Jesus returns, which is very soon, friends. And you can read it right there in chapter 14. Now I want to take a look at the first angel's message because it brings to view the seal of God right at the very beginning of the last warning to mankind. Now some of you are like, what? It's right there in the first angel's message? Well, friends, it is. Let's look at Revelation 14, in particular verses 6 and 7. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Now notice very closely verse 7. Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. And, what's it say there? Worship Him that made. Right? Worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Worship Him that made. If you read the Bible through, friends, I'll, 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 give, you a little, uh, I'll give you a little homework. Look through your Bible. Because if you read through it, you'll see that over and over again, it declares whom the true God is. Now that's not far-fetched. That's what the Bible's for, isn't it? But more specifically, it clarifies or signifies who the Creator is so there will be no mistaking who deserves our worship. And how does it do this? Go back to verse 7. Look at verse 7 again. It says, And worship Him. What Him? Him that made. Him that made what? Heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. 
And friends, we come down to the final crisis between uh, the people of God and, and the seed of the devil, and, and uh, we have that choice to make. It's a choice pertaining to worship. Who are we going to worship? Which sign are we going to be loyal to? As I said, there are several places throughout God's Word where we see the, the, the same or similar expressions. 2 Kings 19 and verse 15 says, And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, Thou art the God, even Thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. No question as to who Hezekiah is praying to here. You find several places with the same things in, in the book of Psalms. Here's a few. Psalms 115, verse 15. Ye are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Psalms 121, verses 1 and 2. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. I've quoted that several times in the last few months. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Psalms 124 and verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalms 146, 5 and 6. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever. You see there's a distinguishing characteristic here. Isaiah 37 and verse 16. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims, Thou art the God, even Thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth Thou hast made heaven and earth. Look at the book of Acts. Acts 4 verse 24. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, Thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Acts 14, verse 15. And saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. You see, there are distinguishing marks here. And by the way, Exactly who does the Bible say made the heavens and the earth and all things that are therein? It's very specific, isn't it? You go to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. He's the God of the living. And he's the light of men. Who was the light of men? Look at verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Only one person who did that. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now the word spoken of here, that word, when it says the word was with God, the word was God. In the beginning was the word. That is in the Hebrew, that's the word dabar. And it's logos in the Greek. It refers to the, the oracle of God or what is known, friends, as the Shekinah glory that was above the mercy seat. The Word. And did you notice what Hezekiah and Isaiah said concerning who this Word is that was made flesh? 
Isaiah said, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. And Hezekiah said the same thing as Isaiah in 2 Kings 19.15 that we read. They both say that Jesus, the Word, the Shekinah glory, made heaven and earth. pillar of fire by day, cloud by night, made heaven and earth. Paul said in Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And so friends, there's no mistaking that Jesus is the creator of the heavens and the earth and all things therein. And take a, and take a look at the very next verse there in Colossians 1. As we've already discovered in our studies about the church of God, that wherever Jesus is, there is His church. Isn't that right? So Paul says in verse 17, and, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. In verse 18 he says, and He is the head of the body, the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. And friends, at the very beginning there was only one church and Jesus was the head. And the Bible tells us that it will be that way again by the signs we see all around us. We can know that the day of His appearing is coming very soon. We are, he will have preeminence again. There will be an end to sin. Let's look again at Revelation 14 and verse 7 saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him that made. What are the identifying marks here? He made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And it's that last part of this verse that signifies who the true God is. And can you see the fourth commandment, beloved, in the last part of this verse? Now, why do you think that is? God is clear as to who is worthy of our worship. Let's look at the fourth commandment. Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle. Some people don't understand what that means. They deserve a rest too. Nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. Your household is to keep the Sabbath. For in six days the Lord did what? He made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Friends, this is the sign. This is the mark of the true creator of heaven and earth. The sea. All that in them is. So for us to worship the true Creator, we must do so on the day that He created for such worship. The day that contains His seal. It signifies who He is. That He's the true God. And this is the seal of the covenant for God's people. For it shows who His true people are. Those who keep the covenant by keeping God's commandments by faith. That's who they are. And that includes the fourth. The keeping of the seventh day Sabbath. 
go forward to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus 31, verse 14. <clears throat> ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. And when it comes to the end, when Satan and his angels and his church members are all destroyed, there's truth to that, isn't there? For everyone that defiles it will be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. Look at verse 17. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord did what? He made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now, who did Paul say Israel is? Remember verse 17. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. And Paul said in Galatians 3.26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye whose seed? Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise, the promise made to Israel. By the way, in the book Upward Look, page 80, we find the statement, quote, the Israel of God are those who are converted. <laughs> it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. Now the word sign is sometimes used as a synonym for seal. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 11 it says, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet, being uncircumcised. You see that? Sometimes they're used as a synonym. I want to share this with you. It's from Signs of the Times article, May 13, 1886. The Sabbath was placed in the Decalogue as the seal of the living God, pointing out the lawgiver and making known his right to rule. It was a sign between God and his people, a test of their loyalty to him. Moses was commanded to say to them from the Lord, Verily my Sabbaths ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. And when some of the people went out on the Sabbath to gather manna, the Lord asked, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? Now, we're familiar with the term seal, I think, most of us, in connection with legal documents. And so, we know that a seal contains the name of the person issuing the document, his office or authority, and the extent of his jurisdiction. Seals are attached to laws and legal documents, so we should look for God's seal to be attached to his law, right? Now, why should we do this? Because it will distinguish who the true creator God's disciples are, beloved. Because they will follow the true God. Now notice, Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 16 says, Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. <laughs> Remember, talking about carrying that ark in our hearts, in our minds. 
the law, you seal the law among my disciples. History tells us that seals were used in the Near East much as signatures are used today. You know, when you sign a check or something like that, or an official document. Seals attested uh, the authorship of a document, indicated the ownership of the object upon which the seal was impressed or secured. You know, secured objects like chests or boxes or tombs. They put a seal on them against being opened or molested, see? You know, it's an interesting thing. Did you know that the tomb where Jesus lay was sealed with the insignia of Rome? Did you know that? It's in Desire of Ages, page 778. It tells us that they, they sealed, they put cords over the tomb when Jesus was placed in the tomb, and they sealed it with the Roman seal. Let me tell you something, friends. One of these days, very soon, all those who reject the seal of God will be sealed with the Roman seal. His mark. There are two that you'll choose from, so please weigh carefully and make the right choice, friends. Seals have been recognized by nations for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And all nations have agreed that an official seal must show three things. First, the name of the lawgiver. Second, his official position or right to rule. And third, the kingdom or territory over which he rules. Now, how did they come to such a conclusion on what to have in an official seal? You think maybe the Sabbath was an example to them? <laughs> I kind of like that. So the office, let's say, of the President of the United States, he has an official seal that's used for signing bills into law. And the seal shows first the name of the lawgiver. That would be, today it would be Barack Obama. His official position or right to rule, he'd be President. And the kingdom or territory over which he rules, the United States. Now, has God attached his seal to his law? So all may know that it is legal and binding upon all humanity. Because the seal of God is connected with His law and it's found in the middle of His law in the fourth commandment. So if you read the fourth commandment, we'll read it again here. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. That's the law. He's laying out, isn't it? It's the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. This is the law, isn't it? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He made it sacred his seal on it. Do you know that the first three commandments and also the fifth mention the name of God but they don't distinguish him from other gods? Do you know that? The last five commandments show our duty to our fellow men but they don't contain the name of God either. But the fourth commandment contains first the name the Lord thy God Second, the statement that the Lord thy God is the creator of all things, the Lord made, and therefore has power to issue this law. See? And third, a record of his territory which consists of heaven and earth which he created. And so the fourth commandment requires all who dwell in the territory of the Lord God the creator to keep holy the seventh day of the week which he has sanctified and blessed as a memorial of his creative work. Let me share this with you. Signs of the Times, November 1st, 1899. The Sabbath enjoined by the fourth commandment was instituted to commemorate the work of creation, thus to keep the minds of men ever directed to the true and living God. Had the Sabbath always been kept, think about this, friends, had the Sabbath always been kept, there would never have been an idolater, an atheist, or an infidel. Hmm. 
the sacred observance of God's holy day would have led the minds of men to their Creator. The things of nature would have brought Him to their remembrance, and they would have borne witness to His power and His love. Isn't that remarkable? Now notice what she says here. The Sabbath of the fourth commandment is the seal of the living God. It points to God as the Creator and is the sign of His rightful authority over the beings He has made. So God says in Exodus 31.17, It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. He says in Ezekiel 20 verse 12, Moreover also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. He says in Ezekiel 20, Verses 19 and 20. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and hallow my Sabbaths and they shall be a sign between me and you that ye may know that I am the Lord your God. God blessed and sanctified the Sabbath and to the one who will keep it, the one who will keep it holy, it is a sign or seal of God's power to sanctify him, to make him holy. The seal, friends, is the pure mark of truth, the mark of God's approval. It attests likeness to Christ in character, for the law is a transcript of His character, isn't it? Now, during the Dark Ages, Sunday, the first day of the week, a day upon which God worked, He didn't rest, He worked, it was substituted for the seventh day upon which he did rest. And the Lord revealed through Daniel the prophet that a power would arise which should think to change the law of God. Daniel 7.25 And we're told that the law would be given into his powers, uh, given into this power's hand during 1260 years, a period of time mentioned by both Daniel and John. And this power exclaims, Quote, the Bible says, remember that thou keep holy the Sabbath day. The Catholic Church says, no. By my divine power, I abolish the Sabbath day and command you to keep the first day of the week. And lo, the entire civilized world bows down in reverent obedience to the command of the Holy Catholic Church. That's from the book, History of the Sabbath, page 802. Here's one from the Catholic Mirror. The Catholic Church, by virtue of her divine mission, changed the day from Saturday to Sunday. Here's one from a Plain Talk About the Protestantism of Today, page 213. The observance of Sunday by Protestants is an homage they pay, in spite of themselves, to the authority of the Catholic Church. Here's one, a quote, from H.F. Thomas. He was Chancellor of Cardinal Gibbons. He says, of course the Catholic Church claims that the change, the seventh-day Sabbath to Sunday, was her act, and the act is a mark of her ecclesiastical authority in religious things. <laughs> they admit it is their mark, it is their sign, it is their seal. Here's the last one I'll share of many. Catholic Record of London says, Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. So you see, friends, as I said earlier, there are two signs. There are two marks, see, two seals. Papal Rome has chosen Sunday as their mark or official seal of authority and will endeavor to enforce this seal upon all inhabitants of the earth. Their official seal would look something like this. Remember the three uh, qualifications of an official seal contained the name of the lawgiver. In this case, today, it would be Benedict XVI. His official position or right to rule, well, he's the Pope, <laughs> right? The kingdom or territory over which he rules, well, that would be the earth. Beloved, there is a test coming for all people of the world and there are only two seals. The holy seal of the Creator God 
as found in the fourth commandment, keeping the seventh-day Sabbath. And there's the papal seal of the Antichrist, whose seal is the first day of the week, Sunday. Which one do you want to be sealed with? Revelation chapter 7. Verses 2 and 3 says, I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Now, friends, this seal in the foreheads represents ownership because we belong to God you see he created us so it represents ownership but it also represents character because we have the character of God for we recognize his ownership and we obey him and when the honest in heart see and, and they they acknowledge the binding claims of God's law. They will keep holy the Sabbath and they will receive the name of God in their forehead for the Sabbath contains the name of God within it. Did you know that? The Sabbath is at the heart of God's character. It has His name. You know, Revelation 14.1 says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Look at the word Sabbath. You realize that that word is virtually the same in any language on the earth today? The Sabbath? <laughs> That's not a coincidence. Look at the heart of the word Sabbath. S-A-B-B-A-T-H. Abba, Father. The Father is at the heart of the Sabbath for it is at the heart of His character. It's in the heart of His law. And thus it is the sign of the covenant that He is the God who recreates His character in us. It's beautiful, friends. What a God of love. Notice this from Gospel Herald, April 1st, 1905. The command concerning the observance of the seventh-day Sabbath is still binding upon all the inhabitants of this earth. God has set apart this day as a sign between Him and His people of their loyalty. God's commandments never change. They are as enduring as eternity. The Lord has His message. By the way, you cannot change one commandment of God. You cannot change the Sabbath commandment because you cannot change God. That's why she says God's commandments never change. They are as enduring as eternity. God says, I change not. The Lord has His messengers, whom He bids to proclaim His law as changeless in its character. Those who obey this law will bear the seal of the living God. There is no sanctity in the first day of the week. The seventh day was set apart as a memorial of the work of creation. Everyone is to look to God the creator of the heavens and the earth, for light and guidance, and him alone are they to honor. So Ezekiel saw in our day an angel placing a mark upon the foreheads of those who were distressed because of the abominations practiced by the professed people of God. In Ezekiel 9 and verse 4, We read, And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And I'll tell you, friends, those who are at ease in the church, drifting with the current, going with the flow, 
their hearts centered on the world, will never receive the seal of the living God. They're keeping Saturday, you see, but not keeping the Sabbath. From the book Christian Experience and Teachings, page 189, not all who profess to keep the Sabbath will be sealed. There are many even among those who teach the truth to others who will not receive the seal of God in their foreheads. They had the light of truth. They knew their master's will. They understood every point of our faith, but they had not corresponding works. It's because they weren't converted. They had the knowledge, but they didn't have God's desire in their hearts. She says, these who were so familiar with prophecy and the treasures of divine wisdom should have acted their faith. They should have commanded their households after them that by a well-ordered family they might present to the world the influence of the truth upon the human heart. Not one of us will ever receive the seal of God while our characters have one spot or stain upon them. It is left with us to remedy the defects in our characters, to cleanse the soul temple of every defilement. Then the latter rain will fall upon us as the early rain fell upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. So friends, unless there is a reformation as to the sacredness of the Sabbath, all Saturday keepers will fail the test and receive the seal of Rome instead of the seal of God. And they will become the enemies of God's people. Remember all those statements you can read about our worst enemies were former brethren. Is true. So beloved, look at yourself honestly and see if you are in need of, of Sabbath reform. Are you a Sabbath keeper or are you a Saturday keeper? And friends, when this test comes, each person will have to decide for himself. Some, like Peter and John, when they face the magistrates in imprisonment, they'll say, we ought to obey God rather than men. And I hope we will obey God rather than men as they did. Friends, the Bible says that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It also says that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And as our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary, it is Jesus that sanctifies us. And the Sabbath is the Holy Seal, the sign of the covenant of His work in our life. Do you see it? Here's another quote. I'm closing up here, friends. The Signs of the Times, March 22nd, 1910. Five years before the prophet went to sleep. The Sabbath question is to be the issue in the great final conflict in which all the world will act a part. Men have honored Satan's principles above the principles that rule in the heavens. <clears throat> they, have <clears throat> excuse me. they have accepted the spurious Sabbath, which Satan has exalted as the sign of his authority. But God has set his seal upon his royal requirement. Each Sabbath institution, both true and false, bears the name of its author, an ineffaceable mark that shows the authority of each. The great decision now to be made by everyone is whether he will receive the mark of the beast in his image or the seal of the living and true God. Beloved, the sign of the covenant distinguishing the church of God from the church of Satan is the seventh-day Sabbath. Again, it is an outward symbol of an inward experience. And just because you go to church on Sabbath doesn't mean you are a Sabbath keeper. doesn't mean that you are a covenant keeper. And friends, please know and understand that only, the only way to keep the Sabbath, the only way to keep it holy is to be holy. And this is only possible through Jesus Christ by having faith in Him having the faith of Jesus. Righteousness by faith. You must be a law keeper by faith in order to receive the seal of God. You can't break the other nine commandments and keep the Sabbath. You can't break one commandment and keep the Sabbath. James is very plain about that. Oh, friends, I want the seal of the living and true God. How about you? 
I want to be a member of His church. The church that keeps the covenant sign, the Seventh-day Sabbath. How about you? If you do, let us allow the Holy Spirit to revive us to our first love. Let us make the necessary reforms that are necessary to keep the sacredness of the Sabbath as it should be kept. And by faith allow Jesus to recreate His image in us so we may receive the seal of God and, beloved, go home. Don't you want to go home? Aren't you tired of this world? We sang this morning, I'm a pilgrim and I'm a stranger. I can tarry, I can tarry but a while. I want to go home. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Beloved, let's drink of that water now before it dries up. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for your enduring mercy, your long-suffering towards us, who are so unworthy for your church that can't get its act together. We ask forgiveness. And Father, we plead in the name of Jesus that you will come into our hearts and change us. We all have things that we need to put away. If not now, when? So please come into our hearts. Give us hearts of flesh so that we may be able to partake of the latter rain and be sealed with your seal. Make that right decision. Lord, we're so thankful for the Sabbath day, for it's much more than a day. It teaches us about your heart. So may we keep it to your honor and glory. We pray in the name of Jesus.